Welcome back to the Legal Weekly Wine, where we discuss the hottest legal weekly topics in the U.S. I'm Virginia Tarani. And I'm Chelsea Rogers. And we are part of Tarani Law LLC because you never need a lawyer. So you do. Okay, big day here. It is our first guest, as you can see on our camera. Welcome to Dr. John Vile. Good to be here. Dr. Vile is with us. He is one of the preeminent First Amendment scholars in the United States. I am thrilled to have, we are thrilled to have him on here. He's coming to us from MTSU, Middle Tennessee State University, where he is the Dean of the Honors College. I'm so excited to be here, for you to be here. So we've we've moved things around a little bit, um, but I want to tell everyone why you're here in addition to being a preeminent First Amendment scholar is we have started the Supreme Court arguments. They are on our doorstep. They have started this week. Um, it is currently February 24th, happy hour. Um, but what we've been doing is seeing the start of the season. Yeah. And what a start we have. Dad, well, actually, I, know that I mean, the court's been in session since October. More typically, you'll get the results of the most important cases toward the end of the term which is usually second part of June. I, I never, I made the mistake one one year of leaving town at the last week in June, and I, I miss numerous opportunities that you can't just can't let slip by. <laughs> you can't get those back. That's and right. Bef before we get into anything, I, I don't think you introduced him. You just let it slip. You said, "Hey, Dad," without telling everybody. I, I did. It, it just kind of went in there. You're right. So not only is Dr. Vile a wonderful scholar, um, writer, professor, and dean, but he is also my father. So I am very honored that he is on here as such a leading scholar and as my dad. I think I was the only one you could afford, wasn't I? Don't tell everybody. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> But but yeah, <laughs> fair enough. How great it is that I get the best at the greatest rate. Exactly. Be what lucky. a tagline there. <laughs> and I guess you know. I guess your counter is you know. I'm not talking to the New York Times right now either, am I? So <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but it's it's fun because you have done a lot of consulting or interviews, at least locally. I have. And which stations is it radio and TV? Yeah, mostly. The the ones I enjoy the most are there's the channel five plus in Nashville, and they have a call-in show. And anybody can call in, and they do. Uh, and the secret is always to be however zany it sounds, to be respectful, try to remember who it was, and try to at least garner something from the conversation that could be of wider value. It's a lot of fun. Yes. And I know that you've written a lot of books. So we want to talk about some of your books because it's definitely applicable to today. And then because it's the weekly wine, we'll talk about the wine. Um, but for your books, yes. Okay. So let's <laughs> talk about the wine first. Um, we did <laughs> Dad's Water. Um, yes, it brought is. to you by Pepsi Bottles. <laughs> yes. And I, and I equally like Coke and Pepsi. But I can only do like one or one and a half a day, and I've already exceeded my quota. So 
Back to so work. he's drinking wine for, or we're drinking wine for happy hour. Maybe your water will turn water into to wine. wine. That's what I was well, saying. maybe so. Okay. If it does, uh, keep us posted. You, you may have a bigger program than you were expecting, right? right? You may have other people <laughs> volunteering to uh, talk with you. Loads. <laughs> That's hilarious. So our wine that was not first water um, is a Linganore. We have the Linganore wine cellars. We've done our Linganore too already. Um, one of white wine a couple <laughs> weeks ago, which was just delicious. But this one is the Retriever Red. Um, so you can see that it's locally grown. I don't know if you can see the label here. We'll try to put it in the comments. Um, or a picture or two, but it has the Maryland flag on it. Is it really? Because, yeah, it does. You can see it. It's a very it, unusual flag, by the way. I was going to sure say, maybe I'm one? dumb. I mean, but is this what the Maryland flag looks like? It's, it's, is it, are you sure it's a Maryland flag? Does, does it have the coat of arms of Lord Baltimore? It, in yes, half of it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, we might be able to move it closer say, to the, the camera. It's one of the busiest flags in the nation. I uh, honestly don't but, think I've ever seen this before yeah. in my life. Yeah, no. I, I wrote an encyclopedia on the American flag. So in what? the process of doing that, I learned a lot about state flags as well. That's fun. And that's a lot of, you've done a lot of writing. Well, and in Maryland, see, you, you have, well, you used to have this, the, the Francis Scott Key House, hmm. which got destroyed. You now have a bridge in its place. Um, and I believe you now have a reconstructed house of the woman whose name escapes me right now, who actually did the flag that flew over, uh, oh. Fort McHenry. Uh, and oh, she wow. was aided by the way, by a slave girl, okay. uh, who has, they've gotten recent information about her and they have a museum connected with that house. Uh, and they have, and you, you know, actually, I wish I could remember her name because, you know, Betsy Ross always gets all the, the glory for the American flag. flag. It turns out she was a flag maker, but not likely that, in fact, almost certainly did not uh, mm -hmm. sew the first American flag. Whereas we know the person who sewed this humongous flag that for, flew over Fort McHenry and that inspired Francis Scott Key. Wow. And that is in, okay, so one of the books that you've done, that's the one with, oh, goodness, give the title, because it's been, what, over 30 books oh, that you've no done? I have no idea what it is, what the <laughs> title is. I mean, like an encyclopedia in American flag or something. Life goal, uh, right? So many books, you don't remember them? Well, amazing. Or get old like, enough that you don't remember. <laughs> I don't think that's we it at all. haven't even written one, so... It's okay. But one of the ones that you've written, um, we are going to put a, a link to Dr. Vile's biography um, page on the MTSU site that gives his CV with all of his publications, um, his accolades, which are quite a few, so that you can see and have access to those. But the, the most important one for today and the Supreme Court cases that we're talking about is the Encyclopedia of the First Amendment. And I have a copy. It's a two-part right. one. I'm going to show you the one. It's a beautiful cover. Um, the Encyclopedia of the First Amendment. And it does have the, the three editors. You're one of three. Right. And that book has sort of evolved. MTSU has a mass, mass media and entertainment uh, college. Uh, 
very encourant. They, they have all the latest technology. Uh, but for a time, the dean there was uh, Ken Paulson, who is a, a lawyer uh, and one of the founding editors of USA Today. And so he, he is no longer dean, but he has an office here in the Honors College and continues to write. Um, and he got the rights of this two-volume encyclopedia and put it online under. So if you simply plugged in First Amendment Encyclopedia, you would go to a site at mtsu.edu, which would, and you can literally plug in any of these cases we talk about and many more or topics or individuals, anybody that's had anything to do with free speech and get an essay on them. And often multiple, you know, cross-referenced essays, each with references to bibliography and, and the like. But that's great that it's yeah. free. So we will we will include a link to that as well um, yeah, so that anybody can have access to it. The, the last time I checked, I think we get about 20,000 hits a week or wow. I don't know if it's a day or a week, but we get a lot of hits on it. And, you know, it's educational, uh, certainly fulfills the mission of the university as well as the mass media and entertainment college. And we even used it today. Now we yeah. use the hard copy, yeah. um, but in order for us to prepare or at least be yeah. semi-prepared compared to you, um, Chelsea was able to look up one of the preeminent cases that yeah. we're dealing with that builds onto the current ones. Okay. So we're going to cheers ourselves with the wine and dad with your yeah. water. Like and happy it. hour. Wine's okay. still water. Gonna... <laughs> no change yet. <laughs> no, not yet. Okay. Do you, we'll check in every once in a while. Okay. Because if it could change to this wine, it would be delightful. It's very. Okay. It's like light and refreshing. Yes, it is light. It is. It That's is smooth funny. and light. Um, not heavy. Retriever red. I like that. So you, you know, I have a theory thing? about wine. Oh, what's your theory? Is, that is similar to colors. Um, there are colors that women refer to that I don't believe exist. They refer to them simply to show that they're better educated and re more refined than we are. And usually when somebody tells me about, you know, the body of a wine or, you know, this tastes like magnesium, you know, over <laughs> vanilla, I just don't tend to believe them. But all I the best. Right. I, look, I brought my favorite wine a couple of weeks ago and it was a $10 bottle and it was delicious. It was really good. Well, <laughs> price doesn't finishing always, that one off air. Always reflect. Yeah. yeah, and I think it might have been the color fuchsia. <laughs> <laughs> there is no such color. <laughs> Chartreuse. You, you know, the, the colors of MTSU are true blue. And we thought maybe to spice things up, you know, what if we changed it to true taupe or taupe? Oh, you how know, funny. The, That's true so funny. Use a color that, you know, no other school would choose. Uh, and just see you how you were the only went. one with blue taupe. Yes. Yes. We would we would be the only ones. Yeah. True taupe. Yeah. True taupe. I Love like it. it. We'll start a trend. And and so that everyone knows, I am a very proud grad of MTSU. Um, and of my so, alma mater. Yes. And of William and Mary. Yes. So um Dr. Vile, my dad went to and my mom, actually, they both went to William and Mary, the College of William and Mary, where they met. Um, so that's that so cute. <laughs> it is really sweet. And I married up. <laughs> that's why I went to William and Mary. <laughs> so sweet. It's been almost 50 years. Is it what, 47? 
this year? The my graduation date is fifty years this April. You know. What's the secret? To graduating or <laughs> marrying? Both. Marriage. Yes, Both. dear. <laughs> yes, dear. <laughs> I love it. So he, they went to William and Mary. I went to the law school, mm -hmm. the William and Mary College of Law Law School. And then I graduated from MTSU um, with dad as my coach, my mentor, my teacher, my yep. mediation. Mm -hmm. Yep. yep. Did, did all of it. And we actually did a little video um, that I'm going to put so people can see the interview that dad and I did about that. So we're going to put it that had more to do that. with my ties than it did about me. I was a little concerned about that. No, Today's, by the way, is the Supreme Court. I yes, love it. we had multiple stages of the interview. And what I've done is I've broken them up into pieces. So the first piece is about you, um, your, your background, your expertise, your CV. And then I've got James Madison as another one and your ties as another clip. So we've clipped them into pieces that we will continue as we continue our consultation with you over the next few weeks and months um, for the Supreme Court year yeah. um we'll continue to put the videos out but yeah so just a sneak peek um dad has hundreds of ties so cool hundreds and each time he wears one he tries to pick something that's related to the day the topic the meeting um the church service and today because we're talking about supreme court cases he has worn one about the supreme court and last week it was well most of this week has been presidents since it's President's Day, yep. Monday. Very fitting. Did you have a particular president? I actually got one with all the presidents on it through, I don't know if it had the last two. Oh, uh, wow. But pretty much, yes. That's pretty impressive. Yes, his tie collection. It's like antiques. I feel like and that so is we had fun. We had scholarship winners in on Monday, and each one of them, I... I asked him a question about presidents before I would talk to them. <laughs> no Some pressure. Trivia there. If you go to MTSU, beware. <laughs> Skip the honors college. I don't know. <laughs> At least the luncheon. <laughs> okay, excellent. So we've got the background and we, we're going to do two three cases total, mm -hmm. but split them into two. I think the mm -hmm. most interesting, hottest ones this week are the one that's not quite Supreme Court placement. Right. It's just Fox similar to news. What? Yeah, it's very similar. It's a First Amendment issue that we're dealing with. It is. Um, that is very hot right now. And then we're going to parlay what we talk about with the First Amendment for the Fox News case into the YouTube, Google, Twitter cases, the, the companion cases that are being heard by the Supreme Court that deal with whether social media platforms can be held liable for content they recommend, not content they create, but content they recommend through their algorithms and get put out. Um, the, these cases, everyone is on pins and needles. I even, um, I look at a lot of YouTube. We started to publish on YouTube and one of the, the people that I follow who just does YouTube, he, you know, the new thing coming out, the new, what to check out his Friday podcast was all, I'm not talking about anything else, but these cases, he has no legal background. He doesn't know mm -hmm. the law at all, but his entire podcast was about 
these cases. He was reading off portions of the cases, portions of the argument and saying, this is what would change if these cases succeed and how everything will be different. And he was doing different hypotheses about what would happen, but it's going through the media world. Yes. I mean, as the, as a generation that grew up with the internet and social media, truly, I don't think I had my first social media account till I was in high school. Um, watching sort of the exponential growth is terrifying. Um, and when you have people who, who are newer to the internet, hearing these cases and trying to define and explain an algorithm um, and then a legal argument on top of it just convolutes a lot of the issues. If we're going to do those cases now, you know, we're, no, we're talking about them. Let's do that okay. one and then go into the Fox News ones, because these are the okay. ones in the Supreme Court. Well, let, let's begin with a fundamental distinction, which is, you know, typically when we think of the great cases before the Supreme Court, we think of cases, particularly if you're a political scientist, as I am, you think of cases involving constitutional interpretation. And probably many of your listeners have probably heard of judicial review. So judicial review is a process not actually listed in the Constitution, but consistent with it, whereby courts, federal courts particularly, can examine laws and decide whether or not they're constitutional or not. And if they decide they're not constitutional, then they become unenforceable. But many times, and probably as many as you have of judicial review, you also have cases involving statutory interpretation, which is what does the law, as written typically by Congress, occasionally by states, but what, you know, what does congressional law say about a subject? And in this case, um, 1996, the Communications Decency Act, Section 230, which I think has 26 words, basically says... It's very not, short. Yeah. It is. Basically says we're not going to hold a provider responsible for content. Well, at least in normal situations, you would not. Now, if you had if you had a service that tried to collect every provocative, inflammatory advoc advocacy of violence or revolution that you could, then you might be liable uh, for the same reason the original. But but in, in a sense, it makes it makes the Internet fairly similar to a telephone, right? Um, and we were talking yeah. about that today yeah. is we were we were even thinking of, well, what about Verizon and the telephone providers of just right. talking on the phone? Right. I mean, if, you know, if I, I doubt that some hopefully, well, maybe not. I, I, I never hope criminals are, 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 are wise, but presuming they'd be, you know, most of them would probably be wise enough not to use something that could be tapped or possibly later retrieved. But if somebody, you know, if I were to call someone and order a hit on another person, you wouldn't expect the phone company to be liable for that unless they had some special service, you know, call a hitman. Uh, <laughs> you know, here's how you do it. Uh, but if, you know, typically that's not the conversation you expect to be carried out over a telephone. And that's, uh, it's third parties. The, the telephone is the way that third parties communicate, but it is not right. the actual communication. You see, think of those right. like party chat lines in the early 
90s oh, you know yes. what I'm talking about where you could right okay where you could just call in I heard about it I was a little too young to to participate uh-huh. but <laughs> it sounds so interesting you could just call and sort of be you know, connected it was to other so people much better for senior citizens back then <laughs> because particularly after my grandfather died my grandmother routinely uh would pick up the phone uh and she would know what was happening with her neighbors and from time to time uh, a neighbor would chime in if you'd say, well, I can't remember the date of that. And it'd say, oh, that's coming up on such and such. <laughs> they weren't even in the lawsuit. So, so yes. Oh, that's uh, so funny. Those were the days. So, but, but this case, so we have two. We have, <laughs> and they're both related to the Section 230. Yes. And we have Gonzalez versus Google that was heard on Tuesday by the court and then, and I'm going to mispronounce it, but Twitter versus Tamna um, is the best that I can do for Wednesday. And the first one, so Gonzalez has to do with the Paris terror attack. Mm-hmm. And when I first started reviewing the case, I was like, why are we dealing with something in Paris? <laughs> you know, yeah. how in the world can we have a liability case with a Paris terrorist attack? Yeah. And then, then we get to Twitter and I look at the same thing is this one's about the Istanbul shooting in 2017 and the question still remained in my head is why why are we dealing with overseas terror attacks when we're in america and i think the the biggest issue that we're seeing is well it's about an american Mm -hmm. in each of these cases that was killed during those terror attacks and whether the services these Mm -hmm. social media services and google owns youtube Mm -hmm. um so I believe it was YouTube that their algorithm apparently was putting out recommended sites for the Taliban or ISIS. Well, um, I mean, basically what happened, you have algorithms for all kinds of things. And in fact, mm-hmm. Justice Thomas, you know, said, well, there's probably an algorithm. You know, if somebody looks up rice pilaf, you're going to find other rice dishes or, mm-hmm. you know, other yeah. dishes of that similar nationality or whatever. And so the the argument, which I think is rather tenuous, is that people in ISIS were not mobilized, radicalized by the fact that every time they went to one one site advocating violence, they were directed to another. The algorithm, as I understand, and and now here's where they could get in trouble. If if you, and we sort of mentioned this earlier, if you had an algorithm that was specifically designed to, you know, feed people only propaganda that would be related to overthrowing the government. You, you know, there was a similar issue recently, you know, one of the one of the employees of, of one of these companies has said that the algorithms, and I don't know how purposeful this was, but that they led young women particularly to mm-hmm. bulimia because you would you would have something on how to lose weight mm-hmm. and then they would right. send you you know, and I guess what body dysphoria, what whatever it's called, but dysmorphia, you know, if yeah. you if if a teenage girl, you know, others too, but if a teenage girl saw nothing but you know pictures of Twiggy, and this is the, I'm, I'm dating myself, um, but anyway, pictures of Twiggy or someone I, I picked up on it. <laughs> uh, okay, so someone very thin as the ideal, then you know, and of course, part of this. It, the answer on something like that is you would hope that most teenage girls would have parents who would at least be 
a little sensitive to how much time their children are spending on social media. So, Virginia, you want to tell the story of your sad childhood? Because um, we, didn't, that, I mean, no, we didn't have social media. We, yeah, well, you did. You had you like an AOL chat. There, there was some kind of game that you wanted Ooh. that I did not want you to waste your time on. I mean, Nintendo. There was the Super Nintendo coming no, out in high school. No, it wasn't Nintendo. It was something else that in your senior year, you finally got enough gifts for Christmas that you could buy it on your own. And I didn't, didn't feel that I could stop you from buying it. But it was basically... It was the Super the, Nintendo. Oh, was it? Okay. It was. Oh, I mean, basically, so it wasn't anything vicious. It was just I didn't want you... You know, I wanted you reading books. Uh, right, Bible. but this wouldn't no. work. <laughs> The Bible. <laughs> Good stuff. That Yoshi and Mario would encourage me to want more Yoshi and Mario because yes. I was spending my time on it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, but, I think it's interesting. I think with the the young girls and the and the employee coming forward, if I remember correctly, it was a Facebook and Instagram. So it's owned I believe by that Facebook. May be right. Employee. Yes. But it's hard because the way any of these algorithms are gonna work, um, each company wants you to stay on their site for as long as possible. Sure. So if you want, if you're looking at a video and that's what you typed into a search engine, they're going to show more of that content and like the way our brain works, more extreme versions of that content. If it's weight loss, if it's ISIS videos, whatever it is, because that's going to keep you there longer. If they keep showing. Well, sort of the and, and increasingly, level. you know, as a society, the, one of the beauties of when I was growing up is there were three networks and you had three basic sources of, I mean, I'm sure there were others, but everybody saw ABC, NBC, or CBS, and they were all sort of middle of the road. Yeah. Uh, you know, they didn't divide them into, you did you watch, and now, you know, if you're very conservative, you watch Fox News. If you're very liberal, I don't know, maybe MSNBC, well, it, it, I, although I watch that from time to time. In, in any event, we, we we tend to watch stations that reaffirm our pre-existing view of politics in the world, and particularly part partisan politics. Exactly, our own beliefs. We look for people yeah. who are like-minded. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's the human condition. It's the confirmation bias, is you seek out things that are going to support your worldview, your perception of things. Yes. But now, where you used to have a couple stations that were middle of the road, people understand that, and they're intentionally putting out polarizing and extreme content because it gets them right. views and they can monetize it, right? Like that is the exactly. influencer generation. Yeah, people, not yes. even the algorithms, people are putting out more exciting, sure. um, inflammatory things. Yeah, I think that it's the escalation that a lot of people get sort of caught up on, but it's how human psychology works. It's like your basic hits of dopamine, right? I only know this because I'm ADHD, but that's the thing. It's like it's uh, your the reward pleasure center in your in your brain is seeking dopamine, seeking that uplift, and the only way to get it is like you know it's like adrenaline junkies. Okay, like you went skydiving once and it it like hit that level, but the more you do it you're not going to get that next hit. It's almost like addicts too. And so these algorithms have learned that you have to like increase whatever the original content is, um, bad, good, or otherwise. Dad, does it seem in the arguments that we're hearing and what seem to be the, well, what are the underlying briefs? The arguments don't seem to suggest that people are just getting hits about ISIS or terrorism unless they initially start. Does that seem to be the idea? I think so. Um, 
again, the bigger, well, there are two or three major issues. One is, I mean, essentially right now, this law holds harmless the providers, much like it would hold harmless a, a phone company or a telegraph company or something that wasn't, you know, again, they're not trying to get people to, to do hits on people. It's just they don't monitor every conversation that takes place. But the so so one issue would become that the, the primary difficulty with the cases, as I understand it, is, you know, what goes into making to radicalizing someone to become a member of ISIS? Well, it might have something to do with the Internet, but it might just as easily be a peer. Mm-hmm. It might be. I, I don't. I, I'd hate to think somebody would get a thrill from seeing people get blown up, but maybe they do. And you know, but this looks really exciting. Um, the link to what were they mobilized by? By something they saw on the on Google, and if they were, was it largely their own? You know, I, I think my reaction to an ISIS video might initially be a little curiosity. And I suspect it would then be revulsion. I can't imagine mm-hmm. wanting to see somebody's head chopped off or right. you know, whatever whatever happened. And if someone continues along the line of searching for those kind of videos, whose fault is is it the company's fault? It, it's like, you know, holding holding someone responsible for reading a book, you know, reading Dostoevsky and saying, Well, that was sort of cool. You know, somebody kill you know kill somebody. Try to get away with it. I'm I'm smarter than he is. Maybe I'll try it. Uh, right. The the you know in debate, this is what what we used to call a lack of causal links. Legally, I guess causality. You know, right. showing that somebody watched a violent video or even a series of violent videos, and then went out and committed murder does not prove that that's what caused them to commit that murder. Well, and that's what gets to me as a personal injury attorney. It seems much more basic than even Section 230. It doesn't feel to me like we're dealing with a First Amendment issue. It doesn't feel like we're dealing with right. a third party provider issue. It feels like we're dealing with causation. What yeah. caused the terror attacks? Yeah. And okay, maybe these videos that they saw based on algorithms contributed to what they were doing, what they were watching, where they were headed, but was that the ultimate cause of this right. person's interest in terrorism, the interest in ISIS, well, the furthering? And, and widen it out. I mean, I, I've I looked up Twinkies and they sent me to, you know, puffs, and then they sent me to chocolate bars, <laughs> and now I'm obese. Uh, am I going to be able to sue the <laughs> providers for that? You know, don't I have any responsibility? And, you know, how many people? Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't know how many there are, but how many people have probably seen an ISIS video? Did they go out and, you know, start shooting somebody? And now having said mm-hmm. that, I have deep sympathy yeah. for anyone who is the, is the product of one of these violent attacks. I can understand how you would want to sue every, you know, you want to make right. the world right. And Virginia, I, you know, this probably wasn't the best training for an attorney, but how many times when you were growing up did I say life isn't fair? Um, no, and- it's, it's true. 
So, okay. So this is my question for both of you as the least experienced person sitting here. So as we're, as we're talking about this, almost the example that you gave of it being similar to like a negligent sort of thing. I mean, then do you look at the internet as this inherently dangerous thing, which then they have a duty to have some sort of these precautions and going back to sort of, well, they didn't type in if I'm not, I'm not sure if they didn't type in an ISIS video and they typed in something sort of benign, how many videos down the algorithm does it take? Because I would be much more inclined to see a problem if it takes two videos to go from, you know, something moderate to extremely dangerous versus if it's 40 videos down the line. And what does that look like? Pose that to Yeah, everybody. again, if they were purposely, if they did an mm -hmm. algorithm for the purpose of promoting violence, then, you know, that is not a legitimate First Amendment use of speech. Where would liability stop if, you you know, everybody who read, you know, read a violent, well, we, we remember it wasn't that long ago that there were, and I had some sympathy for this case, that there was a case out of California where they were trying to sue the makers of violent videos. I think violent videos are disgusting, particularly if they're marketing for kids. Right. But... How many kids have seen a violent video? I mean, you can't watch TV without a regular TV without seeing three or four deaths, you know, or fake deaths within the, every half an hour or hour. Uh, and we know lots of people who watch crime shows who don't go out, hopefully, and commit murder. So the the causation... I'm, I'm probably the biggest horror <laughs> fan. I love those, but <laughs> crime junkie and horror fan, right? Here. Okay. I really am, but I can't. I mean, I can't imagine going out and doing something like that. It kind of reminds me of the, like the video game defense we saw, I think it was like kind of late nineties, early two yes. thousands. Yep. And it didn't go well in court though. They tried to assert that these video games were the cause of these right. boys usually doing something violent. And it just didn't, I mean, I didn't buy it. The juries didn't buy it. The judge didn't buy it. You know, this goes all the way back to Aristotle. Catharsis. Do you know about that theory? You know, the I theory. I don't recall it. Well, so in Greek plays, now in Greek plays, usually the violence took place off stage, but, you know, does it cause violent action or mm -hmm. in the process of seeing violence and particularly if it's followed up with justice or some kind of vengeance or something being made right, does it just give you the feeling of relief? You know, I have that out of my system now. I don't need to kill somebody. I've seen somebody killed on stage or, like or on revenge stage. movies. Yeah. So, so how does this, with the First Amendment, is there a larger implication sure for is. the freedom of speech with sure. these these cases? Sure. I mean, do you want to do you want to stop every book that might incite? Some, you know, are we going to outlaw Karl Marx because mm. there was a communist revolution? Uh, you know, I just assume nobody studied Mein Kampf, but if I'm a scholar and I want to learn about Hitler. I probably need to read that to understand the, the origin of the ideology. Absent, you know, some very select areas like obscenity or libel, we'll talk about with this other case. You, you know, we, we have tried to keep a wide expanse for freedom, for freedom of speech and press. And the argument has always been that, you know, one of the arguments is, you know, the marketplace of ideas that, you know, the, the solution for a bad speech is not to outlaw it, but to, to have good speech or accurate speech. Uh, and, 
you know, we are, we're ultimately responsible for the decisions that we make on the basis of whatever we've read or we've, we've seen. And, and, you know, one of the things that became clear in, in oral arguments, particularly in Tuesday's case, was the court's concern that how wide would this door be open? Would the courts be just, and again, go to, I mean, we have an, apparently an obesity uh, crisis in our country. Right. Uh, we have a gun crisis. And I mean, you can think of any number of crises that ultimately somebody could blame on, well, if it weren't for the, you know, that blame media, this wouldn't be happening. And, how, I mean, you know, how many juries are going to have to to weigh, you know, well, you know, what what was the true cause? Uh, and, you know, I'm sure, I mean, from, from the standpoint of the murderer or, or the terrorist, uh, you know, don't blame me. You know, don't tax me. Don't don't tax you. Don't tax me. Tax the man behind the tree. You know, blame the media for it. Um, has has the Supreme Court blamed the media for anything specific in the past, or is this somewhat of a really new issue? Well, I think one of the fascinating things about the court, to which I had great sympathy, was most of them were saying, you know, we're probably the nine people in the United States who are least acquainted. Uh, we, we, you know, with this kind of technology, you know, it's same thing happens when you're a dean. You know, you you study political science and get a PhD, and the next thing you know, you're picking out wall colors uh, for the hallway. Uh, and I think I think a lot of the justices sort of felt you know felt that way. What you know, why are we chosen? But I, I think there is a genuine fear that you know we're going to have hundreds, if not thousands, of cases, and many of these. Again, most of them are going to rely on the facts. And frankly, even if they open the door, my guess is you'd have a hard time persuading me that somebody went out and killed somebody in a terrorist attack because they watched too much YouTube. Uh, now, maybe it would fry their brain. You know, I, I might buy that argument, but, <laughs> you know, there are other more useful things they could probably do. But the cause causation would be just so tricky there. Uh, and, you know, even if the court, I think the court's going to, I think what the court should do, I tend, I tend to favor judicial restraint. There's a law there now that seems to cover it. If Congress thinks that that law is not adequate, then let Congress hold hearings, come to something, you know, come to a law that's maybe better, and then leave it to the Supreme Court to decide, does this new law trench on the First Amendment or not? One of the justices was seeming to suggest that very idea. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's, you know, why, I, I don't know how you would argue that the existing logarithm is unconstitutional. Uh, if, but if you adopt a new law that is too restrict, you know, I think the danger of a law would be sorting out, you know, we're, 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 we have a law that favors violence against, you know, Muslims, but not Christians, or, you know, Jews, but not Gentiles, or, or, or whatever, then it would be time for the court to say, no, the law you have here, you know, the current law clearly does not, as far as I can tell, do anything to violate the First Amendment. Now, with that law, let's hop over to the Fox News case, because we're still okay. talking about the First Amendment. Absolutely. But in this particular case, 
it, it feels like we're flipping where instead of holding someone not liable or, you know, cutting them off, it seems that there's a clear violation in the second case. Well, I'm going to leave it to the judge and jury, I suppose, to decide whether there's a clear violation. But what you have is you have people who have made, well, you have a news broadcast. Which is Fox News. Which is Fox News in this case, which highlighted during a very volatile time, including, you know, the attack on the Capitol, they were highlighting allegations from Sidney Powell, Rudolph Giuliani, perhaps the president himself, others, that the election was fraudulent. Now, and this was the news, the news right, broadcast this is, right, publishing this is the these news types broadcast. of information. And what Fox News is trying to argue, well, so let's go back to, there, there's a classic Supreme Court decision, New York Times versus Sullivan. Uh, and I should have the date for that. I want to say 64. Does that sound right? Mm -hmm. um, in any event, I may be confusing it with uh, New York Times versus U.S. But, it, but in any event, in, in New York Times versus Sullivan, a group of civil rights leaders publishes a full-page advertisement in the New York Times, basically alleging that they have been treated unlawfully, unfairly. And it turns out that there are some factual inaccuracies uh, in, the, in the article. Most of them, you know, for example, at one point they said the police had uh, surrounded the campus with force. And another... If I recall, they the padlock. That they had padlocked the door. That was another yeah, one. Yeah, padlocked the door. Them and there in. was another one. Like you know, they said they had sung the national anthem and they had sung "My Country Tis of Thee" or or some such. And Sullivan, who was the police chief, who was the center of the allegation here, sued on the basis that this was libelous. And I think your viewers will know it, but. Slander is orally defaming a person, uh, giving a speech, you know, in, in which I, you know, call somebody a communist who's not a communist or accuse you of lies. a crime. You, you know, you, you're not. Lies. lies. That's, that's right. That's slander. And the written form of that is libel. And First Amendment gives wide berth to expressions of opinion. Basically, in the U.S., you cannot, you cannot be called, you cannot legally be responsible for stating an opinion. Hmm. Now, stating things as facts is a little trickier. And in this case, yeah. there were some mistaken facts in the article or in the advertisement. But in the, the Supreme, New York Times one. The New York Times advertisement. The Supreme Court said... In cases, and this gets a little trickier as it goes along, but basically when it involves public figures, in this case, a police mm -hmm. chief, in most cases, a politician uh, or a public issue, public issue, public figure, the only way to prove liable is to prove what's known as actual malice. You have to show that this advertisement or this article was published with knowledge that it was false mm -hmm 
or with reckless disregard for the truth. Now, what ha what we now know is now what's what's unusual. So, so many cases against entities like Fox News or public individuals, they make an allegation. In most cases, it's sort of dismissed. It's just not enough. You know, people understood that was a statement of opinion, not a statement of fact. Um, you know, we don't have any real reason to believe that. You know, everybody makes mistakes. Europe, and particularly the higher you are up, the greater chance you have to respond. Mm -hmm. You know, if you call the president a communist, the president can get back on the next day and say, you know, I'm not no communist. You know, here, here are my credentials. Here's what I've done. You know, I, right. I did this at a son who died, that, that, that sort of thing. Um, but what the court said is to prove something is libelous when it involves entities like this, you have to prove either that it was made knowing that it was false or with reckless disregard for the truth. Well, in the discovery process- Of this new case, of the Fox of, News Of one. the Fox News case, in the discovery process, they have actually under, of, uncovered, as I understand it, emails in which mm. Tucker Carlson, uh, Laura Ingram, Ingram, Ingles, it, I, it, I can't remember how to okay. pronounce the last a, a name. Number, yeah. A number of the participants there are apparently writing back and forth saying, you know, Sidney Powell, you know, this is completely unbelievable. Why are we doing it? And then one of them says, we got to keep this up or we're, you know, our stock prices are going to go down. Uh, and we'll they said we'll the lose same. views. They, yeah, they said yeah. the same thing, you know, Sidney Powell and Giuliani. I'm not sure if the, the degree to which the president is involved, but basically what they are saying is they are saying Dominion voting machines are falsely recording. You know, when you push a button for Biden, they're counting that button for Trump and uh, Mark, uh, Mike Lindell, uh, my pillow man. He was in on this as well. Uh, we right. have plenty of evidence here. Uh, as I recall correctly, I believe Giuliani may have even, I'm not sure if it was under oath or not, but he was appearing before state legislature saying we have lots of evidence that Dominion voting machines are inaccurate. They, you know, and which is why Dominion is suing because yeah, they're so saying our right. voting so machines right. now, have been said that they don't work so yeah, how right. will they get money how will they get business right. if and everybody thinks they don't substantial work substantial amounts like one and a half billion dollars right. now i think if there's a weakness in their case and this is not one i'm you know that familiar with but the question is did these allegations in fact result obviously they resulted in some some harm to reputation but I'm not positive that a harm to reputation to a corporation would be quite as bad as it would if you were making allegations about an individual person. But, but under it, the law, the corporation well, is seen as an individual. That's right. It's, it, it, but, but in any event, I think the big, the sticky wicket in that case is going to be how much actual damage was mm -hmm. done. Not, you know, partly, partly it might be reputation, but did Dominion sales, did they decrease as a result of people being fearful that they were somehow subject to manipulation? And I just don't, right. you know, that would be, 
you know, that's one of those juries, particularly, you know, you have questions of law and you have questions of fact. And generally, we regard juries as the ultimate determinant, with few exceptions, of fact. And so, right. you, you know, I think that I think if I were Fox, I might be saying, well, maybe we didn't quite. Well, I wouldn't admit to anything, probably. But, you know, even if you think we didn't exercise due caution, uh, when it comes to damages, you know, we're still, you know, they're still in existence. Uh, how much harm did it really do? I think it would be yeah. less yeah. to do with. But, you know, when, when you're on record as saying, you know, now Fox's defense is we didn't say it was true. We said these are the allegations that these and they were very publicly making. I mean, it, you know, is it. Is the ultimate liability, and here's where the lawyers come in, right? Is the liability with Fox News, or is it with Giuliani, Sidney Powell, maybe Donald Trump, anyone who has made mm -hmm. allegations? And then again, if you go to if you go to this New York Times test, they'd have to know it was false, or mm -hmm. I think more likely, you know, it's just reckless disregard. <laughs> truth we want to exactly win. the reckless disregard yes i mean that's that's what you have i think at issue in this case well that's what happened with elon musk which yeah. just happened just a few weeks ago the yeah. jury came back and it was a question of a twitter you know a, a a twitter post a tweet that elon musk had had done about his public trade whether he was going to actually publicly trade his company or you know right and the question for the jury, the judge even decided it was a false statement. That was wild. That what he put out was false, that he did not actually have funding right. to privatize or however it was. I, yeah, I'm, I don't even remember the exact formal. We actually did the case. We've talked about it multiple times, but it's escaping me. But the judge decided and the jury was told that the judge had already decided that the statement was false. And then it was reckless disregard of the truth. And then a couple of weeks later, all of a sudden we have this, what to us seems like a shocking decision that the jury is saying, okay, even though it was reckless disregard of the truth, we're not going to hold him liable for this. And he was completely exonerated in the civil world um, mm -hmm. for his tweets. And his testimony was, well, nobody believes him. Well, it, it, yeah. that, that was what he says is I yeah. put a tweet out and nobody believes what I said. It, the stock market doesn't, you know, respond to my tweets. It responds to everything else going in right. the world. Right. So I think that's going to be the same type of defense that Fox News has to present is just because we said it. I, I know he's news, not a right? politician. They're the news. <laughs> yeah. I know he's not a politician and I don't believe this, but the old, you know, the old adage is how can you tell if a politician is lying? Their mouth the is moving. Are, yeah. Are, are their lips moving? Uh, and so there is, I mean, I do think there is a degree to which we expect hyperbole mm -hmm. in politics. And that's basically what, what the New York Times decision was designed to protect. But there is a difference between hyperbole and outright lying and out, yeah. you know, emphasizing stories that you're you know, that you yourself believe to be cockamamie and you're putting up there in a program that's supposed to be not only commentary, but also news. Uh, but again, in many ways, I mean, 
I think Giuliani, Powell, maybe Trump himself, are probably as responsible as Fox News is, maybe even more so. Um, that's where the law degree maybe would have helped uh, in in knowing how to how, which one to go. And of course, part of what's well, all of them. I mean, okay. the idea of the plaintiff is whoever has affected you, and if they made a right. statement about you and you believe that it led to that any of these statements were libelous and they led to damages, then you sue all of them and let the courts decide which ones had the most culpability. You you sue them because you believe they had some. You can't right. just sue anybody and everybody. There has to be a good faith basis to believe that they contributed. But you don't pick and choose. You say any or all of these right had libelous statements, slanderous statements, so they're all going to be sued. Let the judge or the jury decide which one had a percentage. What's their percentage? And but I think that brings us, you do no, go back to where we started. This came out in discovery. Yeah. So this is why they included everybody to see who knew what and when, which I yeah. think is kind of the core of the issue. And typically you do prefer to go after people with deep pockets, right? If um, you can, if you if you yeah. if you have damages, you want money to repair those. I mean, damages. I'm guess I'm guessing a corporation like Fox News is probably going to have deeper pockets than even Mike Lindell, no matter how many pillows he sued, uh, he sells. <laughs> he sells. <laughs> we may sue the pillows. I don't know. <laughs> you, you know, if you wrote this in a novel, nobody would believe it. That you have a major, and if I remember correctly, at the end, even. Even President Trump decided he was no longer going to meet with the, <laughs> Mr. Pillow, <laughs> even yeah. though he was, and to this day, I think, is, is still saying that the, the election was was rigged. Mm -hmm. and, and many people still do believe yeah. it. And that the interesting they thing do. from this podcast will be, you know, people comment on the podcast and we're trying to respond mm -hmm. as we can and as, as appropriate to the comments. Sure. But I'm guessing many of our viewers may also say, well, the, they weren't false statements. It is very likely that yeah. some of our viewers will get on and say, well, they can't be found libelous because they weren't libelous statements. They were true. It can't be libel if they were true. And that's another question for the jury is, it is. were and, the statements and I think true? You know, what I would encourage such viewers, and, you know, I know people who, who believe the same thing, what we do have a system that comes as close to lady justice as you can get, and it's called a system of courts. And there have been, what, 70 to 80 different cases right. in which the results of the election have been brought before neutral arbiters. And in each case, uh, there may have been one or two exceptions in a lower court, but ultimately each of these concluded that there was not there was not widespread fraud in a way that would have affected uh, the outcome. The uh, and the other, election. the other control, of course, and and you know, I mentioned this program that I sometimes do locally, where people will call in. the The journalists that I was talking with said, "There, basically, there's not a journalist in the country who would not have run with a story." that we had false, we had elected, you know, the, the election was really reversed and Trump should be our president. If they could have found that evidence, you, you'd, get a, you'd get a, a prize, right? Pulitzer mm -hmm. or, or, or something for, yeah. for being able to show that. So we have checks within the system. Right. Fortunately, because again, we, you know, 
our man, surely he won, right? Everybody I know voted for the same person I did. So yeah. how could he not have won? I get that, why people think that. But it turns out that we do live in our little silos and our friends are not necessarily the state or the world as a whole. And fortunately, we have, you know, we have independent journalists, which are protected by the First Amendment. We have a court system where people are appointed. They're not chosen by popular acclaim. They're not kept in office by popular acclaim. Right. And thank God for it. You know, it, 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 they are checks on the system, which is what the framers wanted. Thank God for the freedom of speech, right? <laughs> right. You want it to be a freedom. And press. To yep. Keep it. Yep. Okay. Well, thank you very much for being with us and for, for hitting these topics. Um, we are looking forward to seeing you again on our podcast. I know we have many more Supreme Court cases and arguments coming up. Um, we will, especially toward the end of June. <laughs> so don't go anywhere. <laughs> We will we will all be staying tuned. So Chelsea will be taking um will be studying for the bar during that time. Unfortunately. Okay. Um so we're gonna see if she can join us for those programs, but at the very least, you and I can um do some consulting and collaborating and hope that she can join us on some Friday. Sounds good. And you know, in the meantime, uh I don't get paid anymore for this, but that if you have an issue particularly related to First Amendment, First Amendment Encyclopedia, just yes. go on site. And just about any case name or justice or, you know, one of the things we didn't discuss was, you know, the different orientations of justices. What was interesting, yeah. particularly in the in the Google case, was they didn't seem to be lining up in the traditional fashion. Both yeah, right and left all. seemed to be very concerned about, you know, are we just going to be opening yeah. the floodgates to, you know, to suits? Uh, are, you know, is this going to, you know, in, implicate First Amendment issues? So. Um, anyway, it's a great source for people to go to. Thank you for the reminder. And thank you again for joining us with your water. Um, for a happy hour on Friday. Cheers again. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, we are, we would love the comments again. We're happy for you all to comment. This is a, a commentary show. It is not legal, um, advice to anyone. It is opinion, um, based on our freedom of speech of the opinions that, that we have about the current cases and where they might head and what's happening with them. We are thrilled to give them to you. Um, and we look forward to seeing you again next week for happy hour. Stay tuned. Check out the, the Law Unscripted, which is what's hosting these podcasts. This is the Legal Weekly Wine. And I am Virginia Tarani. And I'm Chelsea Rogers. We are with Tarani Law LLC because you never need a lawyer. Oh, you do. And thank you, Dr. Vile, for joining us today. You're welcome.